Job 15. Job 15. I would have given him the whole service had I not missed so much. I, uh, but I'll tell you what I want to do. I'll do my best to be brief. As Brother Doug Jones has said for years, I'll tell you like Elizabeth Taylor told her seventh husband, I won't keep you long, honey. I'll give you a broad sweep of this 15th chapter. I'll give you a brief review. We'll look ahead just a little just to see where we are in the book of Job. And then I'm going to give you a broad sweep of this chapter. You just uh, follow along with us. 35 verses in Job 15. What this does is it closes, uh, or chapter 14 closes the first round of speeches by Job's three friends. And now as we begin chapter 15, uh, the second round of speeches will begin, and along with those speeches by Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar, will come Job's rebut to all that. Job 15, then answered Eliphaz the Temanite and said, should a wise man utter vain knowledge and fill his belly with the east wind? Should he reason with unprofitable talk or with speeches wherewith he can do no good? Yea, thou casteth off fear and restrainest prayer before God. For thy mouth uttereth thine iniquity, and thou choosest the tongue of the crafty. Thine own mouth condemneth thee, and not I. Yea, thine own lips testify against thee. Art thou the first man that was born, or wast thou made before the hills? Hast thou heard the secret of God, or dost thou restrain wisdom to thyself? What knowest thou that we know not? What understandest thou which is not in us? With us are both the gray-headed and very aged men, much elder than thy father. Are the consolations of God small with thee? Is there any secret thing with thee? Why doth thine heart carry thee away? And what do thy eyes wink at? That thou turnest thy spirit against God, and lettest such words go out of thy mouth. What is man that he should be clean? And he which is born of a woman, that he should be righteous. Behold, he putteth no trust in his saints. Yea, the heavens are not clean in his sight. How much more abominable and filthy is man which drinketh iniquity like water. And you see what's going on. He's, he's repeating what he's already stated. He's just coming at it from a little different angle. But he's telling Job he's a sinner. A sinner. He, he's living a sinful life. That's why he's suffering. Verse 17 and following. I will show thee, hear me, that which I have seen I will declare, which wise men have told from their fathers and have not hid it, unto whom alone the earth was given, and no stranger passed among them. The wicked man travaileth with pain all his days, and the number of years is hidden to the oppressor. A dreadful sound is in his ears. In prosperity the destroyer shall come upon him. He believeth not that he shall return out of darkness, and he is waited for the sword. He wandereth abroad for bread, saying, Where is it? He knoweth that the day of darkness is ready at his hand. Trouble and anguish shall make him afraid. They shall prevail against him as a king ready to the battle. For he stretcheth out his hand against God and strengtheneth himself against the Almighty. He runneth upon him even on his neck, upon the thick bosses of his bucklers. Because he covereth his face with his fatness and maketh collops of fat on his flanks. And he dwelleth in desolate cities and in houses which no man inhabiteth, which are ready to become heaps. 
He shall not be rich, neither shall his substance continue, neither shall he prolong the perfection thereof upon the earth. He shall not depart out of darkness. The flame shall dry up his branches, and by the breath of his mouth shall he go away. Let not him that is deceived trust in vanity, for vanity shall be his recompense. It shall be accomplished before his time, and his branch shall not be green. He shall shake off his unripe grape as the vine, and shall cast off his flower as the olive. For the congregation of hypocrites shall be desolate, and fire shall consume the tabernacles of bribery. They conceive mischief and bring forth vanity, and their belly prepareth deceit. You remember back over in Job 1, we started with just introducing the book, an overview of the book, then we introduced the man out of the first five verses, and then we looked at the meeting in the heavenlies, and we talked about the trials of Job, and then the worship of Job, and we closed on a high note. You remember in chapter number 2, there's another meeting in the heavenlies. And in that meeting, Job said, skin for skin. said, let me add his body. Let me touch his life. Let me bring pain and disease to him. He'll curse it. Yeah, I didn't accomplish it in chapter 1, but I'm going to accomplish it this time. And you remember, even his wife come to him and said, Job said, curse God and die. And he calls her out of the place that she's at. He said, you're better than this. You speak as one of the foolish women speaketh. Anyone can get low enough to do such. He said, you're doing the bidding of Satan, and he calls her to a better place. And then we met his three friends, Bildad, Eliphaz, or Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar. You always find them in that order. You remember in chapter number three, you remember it's the lowest ebb in Job's life. As far as his struggle and his battle and his darkness that he finds himself in. In chapter three, one to ten, you remember he cursed the day of his birth. Verses 11, 12, and 13, he wondered why he even existed anymore. There's nothing but suffering coming. He can get up and do nothing for himself nor anyone else. Verse number 14 through 19, he thought that the grave was the answer to his problem. He didn't have the full canon of Scripture that we have today. He thought if he went out there to the graveyard where princes and kings and slaves and everybody else were, that everything would be peaceful for him once again. And then he asked in verse 20 through 26 of chapter number 3, you remember he asked a question that only God could answer. And that question was, why? And a lot of times we want to know why. And as a matter of fact, I've said this on, a, on an occasion or two. Did you know theo, uh, theologians are still grappling with that? And the grappling is with the matter of theodicy. God being God, why? Does he permit evil and suffering? Of course, what... Those who really grapple with it the hardest and make accusation, lay accusation against God, uh, what they would say is that God should eradicate the world of evil, and if he did that, he'd have to eradicate the world of you and of me. Sin lies at the door. That's why we have suffering in this world. That's why we have grief and sorrow. It's why we say goodbye to our loved ones. You'll remember in chapter number 4, these three friends have been to the ash heap. They sat there and they listened to Job in chapter number 3. And let me just show you this very briefly. In chapter number 4, you'll remember Eliphaz begins to speak. Chapter 4, then Eliphaz the Temanite answered and said. And he speaks through chapter 5. Then in chapter number 6, but Job answered and said. And then in chapter number 8, then answered Bildad the Shuhite and said. Chapter 9 of Job, then Job answered. And said, 
over in chapter 11, then answered Zophar the Naamathite and said, chapter 12, 13, and 14, then answered Job and said. And here we find where, uh, where in chapter number 15, against, uh, again, Eliphaz the Temanite, the Bible says, then answered Eliphaz the Temanite and said. Now, this is round two beginning. Chapter 16, then Job answered and said. Chapter 18, then answered Bildad the Shuhite and said. Chapter 19, then Job answered and said. Then answered Zophar, chapter 20, the Namathite and said. Chapter 21 and following, Job answered and said. We'll leave it right there. But uh, Job's three friends, they begin their second round of speeches or their second round of debates, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar. They've been very critical, haven't they? Eliphaz, here in chapter number 15, he asserts that uh, what these men have believed from get-go, that Job is a great sinner. That's why he's suffering greatly. He has sinned. Evidently, he has sinned greatly. And that has brought a harvest of suffering. In chapter 15, it will be even more so than the first round of, of speeches when Job would answer his friends. He, he's frustrated with them. He doesn't understand why God hasn't spoken. You remember we took an evening and tried to underline the fact that everybody else has spoken, um, but God hasn't given a word to Job. Satan hasn't even given a word to Job except through his, these three friends of Job's. When you, when you come into chapter number 15, we're reminded of the arrogance of Eliphaz. Perhaps Zophar is the most cruel, but certainly Eliphaz and Bildad are cruel as well. This chapter divides easily into two portions. In verses 1 to 13, Eliphaz says to Job, Job, you're full of hot air. You remember he did that to him in the first speech. He says, you're full of hot air. You have no substance, no content to what you've said. You've not thought through what you've stated, verses 1 to 13. He says, Job, you speak like a wise man, but you're a foolish man. Eliphaz is limited in his knowledge. He cuts everything close to the row, close to the crop. He doesn't give much leeway at all to Job. He says in, in, in verses 14 to 35, Job, only sinful People suffer. He's wrong. We've already established that in the book of Job. He's certainly, he's certainly wrong about that. As he, as he tries to convince Job that, Job, you, you're suffering. You, you, you've lived a wicked life. There's some things that you just you haven't fessed up to. There's, you've lived a, a sinful life. He assumes Job must be, must be sinful in the sight of God. Now, let me give you some thoughts, if I may, and I'll give you these in a hurry. But you remember Eliphaz, his first speech, beginning in chapter 4 and running through chapter number 5. You remember we tried to underline Eliphaz and his approach to Job. He was very courteous, very diplomatic when he began that speech, but not with this one. He's very cutting, and he's very sharp uh, to Job. He's very cruel to him. He tells uh, he tells Job that the way you've responded to myself, the way you've responded to your other two friends, reveals the sinfulness of your heart. He says, in essence, we'll read the verses in just a moment. He says, your own words condemn you. Your own words will indict you, Job. Think about what you've stated. And you're guilty, and you've made yourself, you've underlined that, uh, that guilt by what you've had to say. 
Now, I want to go out on a limb here, if I may. I'm going to tell you what gets in Eliphaz's way. It's his own pride. He's right, and he's never been wrong. He has no compassion. He has no patience. He does not try to investigate um, what may be going on. Of course, now, he doesn't have what you and I have. He doesn't have Job 1 and Job 2. All he knows is he got word, and his friends got word. They met at a certain place and make their way to Job. And after hearing him speak, after sitting with him seven days and seven nights and hearing him speak, he's convinced he's guilty. He assumes this business of assumption has, has torn a lot of friendships and, and families apart. Assuming. Look at verse number 9 and 10. This underlines that. Job 15, 9 and 10. The Bible says, What knowest thou that we know not? What do you know? We're older than you are. We have gray hair. What understandest thou which is not in us? Let me go back and visit another thought. You remember we've talked about as a young Christian, if you're not careful, somebody will impose themselves upon you and you think them to be godly. They've indicted you and made you feel bad about something you've not done. How do you answer that? He's older than Job's father. Verse number 10 bears that out. With us are both the gray-headed and very aged men, much elder than Thy father. And he will not let Job's reasoning come into his mind. It's just got to be the way that he has assumed that it is. He's rigid. He's stringent. We would say here in the southeast in our day in which we live, he's legal, legalistic. He's narrow-minded. He cuts it pretty, pretty straight. When he speaks to Job, he does not consider anything, not even his grief nor his sorrow. You remember his friends have even blamed the death of his children. Blamed Job with the death of his children. Look with me, verses 1 to 9. We won't read back over all of these verses for time's sake, but see if those thoughts, see if they don't jump out at you and settle in your heart as we read the scriptures here, 1 to 9. Then answered Eliphaz the Temanite and said, Should a wise man utter vain knowledge and fill his belly with the east wind? He said, Job, do you realize what you've said? Should he reason with unprofitable talk? You've wasted our time. You've wasted your own. You've wasted God's time. Or with speeches wherewith he can do no good? Yea, thou casteth off fear and restraineth prayer before God. Should have talked to us, you would have been talking to God about this matter. You have no reverence about yourself. He says, yea, thou casteth off fear. For thy mouth uttereth thine iniquity, and thou choosest the tongue of the crafty. Thine own mouth condemneth thee, and not I. Yea, thine own lips testify against thee. Art thou the first man that was born, or wast thou made before the hills? Hast thou heard the secret of God, and dost thou restrain wisdom to thyself? In other words, Job, you talk to us like we don't know anything. We've lived this longer than you have. Then verse number 9, What knowest thou that we know not? What understandest thou which is not in us? You seem to know more than we do, Job. You hear his pride and his arrogancy come out on him. Now, in verses 10 to 16, you'll find that Eliphaz is going to accuse Job again of being vile, wicked, sinful, corrupt. Verse number 16, he talks about his sin and him sinning habitually. He says, uh, he refers to him, verse number 16, he says, how much more abominable and filthy is man? He's talking about Job. He's imposing this rhetoric on Job. How much more abominable and filthy is man which drinketh iniquity like water. 
He's just made a false and unjust accusation against Job. Of course, he's done this before. This is the third chapter of speech against him by Eliphaz alone. I, I, wonder, I wonder what he'd have thought if God had have inspired the Holy Spirit to step forth with this portion of the Word of God. Job chapter number 1, when God speaks up and says to Satan, And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job? That there is none like him in the earth, not one like him. Nobody else like Job in all the earth. He says, A perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and sheweth evil. Then in chapter number 2, in verse number 3, And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job? That there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil, and still he holdeth fast his integrity, although thou movest me against him to destroy him without cause. And he'll maintain that integrity, though he will be a bit self-righteous through, throughout, the book of, uh, throughout the book of Job. Things are just not always like we sum them up to be, are they? It's just not. Sometimes we think, boy, God's given him his due. That's what Eliphaz will tell Job here. He's already told him that. You remember Bildad said, God hadn't given you what you are due. He's withheld himself. He's withheld judgment from you. We're talking about a man that has just buried ten children, seven sons and three daughters. He's just lost everything he had financially. He doesn't have anything. There's nothing left. His wife is in such despair, watching him waste away to nothing. Remember those marks we looked at, scattered throughout the book of Job, where he had dark circles around his eyes. He had no appetite. He could not find a place of rest. He said, my groaning is heavier. He said, you see me suffering, but it's worse than you can, than you can perceive. Then here's this man speaking to him the way that he's speaking to him. You never know, and I never know what someone may be suffering with. Usually, we don't have all of the data, do we? Usually, we don't. Eliphaz. Now, now I want to say something. Here in these, in these verses, in verses 10 to 16, Eliphaz is not completely wrong in what he has to say to Job. You remember, we've said all along that his three friends don't get everything wrong and Job don't get everything right. Listen to 10 to 16 where the Bible says, with us are both the gray-headed and very aged men, much uh, elder than thy father. Are the consolations of God small with thee? Is there any secret thing with thee? Why doth thine heart carry thee away, and what do thy eyes wink at? In other words, Job, what is your problem? What is the sin that does so easily beset you, Job? Verse 13, that thou turnest thy spirit against God, and lettest such words go out of thy mouth. Watch verse 14 and 16 in particular. What is man that he should be clean? And he which is born of a woman that he should be righteous. Behold, he putteth no trust in his saints. Yea, the heavens are not clean in his sight. Verse number 16 again. How much more abominable and filthy is man which drinketh iniquity uh, like water. Eliphaz is not completely wrong, is he? Certainly he's not. He's speaking of the general fallen nature of the Adamic race, of which you and I are part of. And, and he's, he's correct in saying, in the sense that no one is righteous and all have sinned and been sinful in the sight of God, including Job. But the problem that Eliphaz has here is how that he mixes these concepts together. The sinfulness of man 
and then making an accusation against Job. What Eliphaz expresses in part of his speech here is what Paul expresses in many passages, but particularly Romans 3 and 23, where Paul wrote, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, and that's right. Eliphaz is wrong in his application regarding Job. He's saying, Job, you've brought this on yourself. You've sinned more than anyone else. You've lived an evil lifestyle. Perhaps the distance we're separate that separates us, maybe that's why you got it by us, but you didn't get it by God. That's why you're reaping what you were reaping. You know what he's accusing Job of? He's, he's accusing him of two things. He's accusing him, number one, of being irreverent toward God and the things of God. Number two, he's accusing him of being the enemy of God, though he names the name of God. Listen to James 4 and 14. You adulterers and adulteresses, know you not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever, therefore, will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. And that's what Eliphaz is accusing Job, uh, Job of. Here's what we know about Job's life. He was repentant toward God, right? And as a matter of fact, he was repentant even on his children's behalf. You remember how he offered sacrifice on behalf of his children. As a matter of fact, I'm convinced a man being repentant, a woman being repentant, a teenager, young 20s, young person being repentant toward God, I'm convinced that's one of the evidences of salvation. You say, preacher, an evidence of salvation, where does that begin? It begins with repentance. And it continues in repentance. Not only did I repent on a Friday night, turn away from my sin and, and myself and turned unto God and trusted Christ crying out unto him, but I've been repenting ever since. As a matter of fact, you'll see yourself as Paul saw himself in 1 Timothy chapter number 1. If you've grown in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, you will join the I am the chief of sinners society. It's one of the evidences that you've grown. If you can blame everybody else and get your feelings hurt quite often, you ain't got there yet. But I'm telling you, the good spirit of God's working in your life and mine. We see, we see the holiness of the God that we serve. We see how weak and wicked we are. Isn't that right? Have you repented? You didn't have to do it right here. You could have done it back there. You could have done it at home in your backyard. You could have done it beside your, your bed. Could have done it on the job. George DeRouge did it by a mile marker on Interstate 40 in the state of Tennessee. And then there's the evidence you keep repenting. Adrian Rogers said it well, didn't he? He said God didn't set this thing up when you got saved that you couldn't sin, but he did set it up to where you couldn't sin and get away with it. A lot of times what we want the preacher or somebody else to do is come see our child, our grandchild, or our neighbor and just really give them a sermon. We think that's going to change them. I want to tell you something. If the Spirit of God is, is indwelling them and, they, and he's working in their life, he'll be the one to do the changing. Give him a little space and time. Part of our problem is we've converted too many anyhow. Eliphaz, Bildad, Zophar, all three of them are guilty. They're guilty of accusing Job, assuming about Job and accusing him. They throw accusation, accusation, one right after the other against him. 
And if we don't take anything else from this, we ought to be mindful of the fact that where there's pain and grief and sorrow and suffering, they may not need another sermon. They may just simply need the compassion and gentleness of our darling Savior to minister to them in their time of need. And so may we ask God for wisdom and seek him for wisdom as James 1, 5 would tell us to do so. We won't take the time to look at the verses 17 to 35, but um, what Eliphaz does is what he began doing in this book in chapter 4 and chapter number 5. He argues from his own life experiences and his own observations about life. What he's going to tell Job in these, this second half of the book is, Job, I, I know what I'm talking about, so you need to listen up. Usually when we try to corral anybody like that, we make a further rebel out of them, don't we? As a matter of fact, that's what the law did in the beginning was make a bunch of rebels out of all of us. You can't play the Holy Spirit in somebody's life, and I cannot either. You can't do it. That doesn't mean we shouldn't try to help one another when we sense the other is going in error or away from God even a bit of a step. But you can't twist a man's arm behind his back and force him to live for God. You can't do it. So in effect, Job, Eliphaz is telling Job in these latter verses, the last half, uh, the majority of this chapter, as a matter of fact, says, Job, I know what I'm talking about now. You need to be quiet. You need to listen up to me. He says to him, in essence, in those verses, you're steeped in suffering. There's no doubt about it. And so uh, you should expect nothing but that because of your wickedness. He says to him, if you'll go back and read through the verses, your trouble or troubles, plural, it's only going to get worse because of your sins. As a matter of fact, you'll go so far as to say that you'll, you'll deal with paranoia is what we'll call it. You'll hear sound and you'll look over your shoulder. You'll hear something, you think the enemy's after you. And then he tells him one day, unexpectedly, Job, you're just going to drop dead and the vultures are going to eat the flesh from your bones. And it's because of your sin. Don't you wish they'd have had... I do. I wish somebody would slipped up and given them Job 1 and Job 2 and Job 42 beginning about verse 7. I wish somebody had have done that, but they couldn't. What Eliphaz does is what the court systems of our day seem to do, and that is further victimize a victim. Isn't that right? You let a woman be mistreated, take her to the court of law where she may find some justice, she'll be further mistreated. She'll be drugged through the ringer. You let a man that's had to defend his home stand his ground. If he's taken to court, he'll be further victimized. Here's a man who's a victim of much suffering, and he's further victimized by his own friends, by his own friends. May God help us to know what to say, when to say, how to say, when to say nothing, and be ministers of Christ, ambassadors for Christ, Yea, helpers in the work of the Lord, rather than hindering a brother or sister who is already suffering. I'm going to be true to my word. 756, how about that? Let's stand with dismissing prayer. Get by and see the tranthems if you've not already. Thank you for your prayers during these days. Brother Terrence, will you dismiss us, please?